Welcome to Evolve, reinventing leadership, building freedom cultures, with CEO and award-winning author, Yvette Bethel. This podcast is dedicated to providing leaders with solutions to build trust, inspire authentic transformation, and improve engagement. Learn about new and tested ways you can revitalize your culture, empower people, and transform your results. This is Yvette Bethel, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to Evolve. Evolve explores modern leadership topics and cultural transformation potentials using the interconnectivity flow and balance methodology, which is grounded in trust, integrity, and emotional mastery. We will explore ideas that translate into theories and practical action that you can apply to simple and complex organizational challenges. This episode is the second of a two-part conversation that introduces the IFB concepts of balance and flow in the context of quantum leadership. To support me in this exploration is Edwin Clamp. Edwin's professional practice is focused on helping companies develop and implement long-term innovation. He's an expert in quantum leadership and the application of quantum principles in business. He has broad and deep competencies in traditional executive functions such as foresight, mergers and acquisitions, finance, law, risk management, and marketing. With a substantial educational background and experience across many disciplines such as statistics, math, biochemistry, biology, healthcare, business, engineering, software engineering, and education, Edwin brings a unique voice to evolve. Let's jump right into the conversation. We are taught that the I is more important and somehow we need to bridge uh, so that people don't lose the I in order to get to the we. They're both important. This one doesn't trump the other. It's the balance, right? <laughs> you, you find that, and a lot of times people think that they have to give one up to get there, but right. I think the bridge, the bridge to we is to have a healthy eye. Yes. And, and I think this, this is the same kind of uh, argument as the masculine feminine. We've, mm-hmm. we've made them like this. I and we are mutually exclusive, but of course they're, they're not. They're a continuum. You know, and that's we we need to to understand that we can be we and we can be I at the same time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, (laughs) yeah, is this is this working for you? Yeah, how about you? No, that's good. How's it working for you? No, I'm, I'm, I just hope my examples aren't too esoteric or wordy or people can connect. No, I, I, actually, I actually appreciate I'm going to stop recording here. Uh, pause. Okay. Yeah, so right now I'm reading uh, Diana uh, Zohar's book, The Quantum Self, 
Um, and it really reinforces a lot of these ideas that I've been working with um, that we need to, to really change our mode of thought, that some of these artifacts of thinking, like the idea of separation, um, are so profoundly uh, interwoven into our psyche, it's very hard for us to even... To, to conceptualize anything different, you know, but the, the, the reality is, as seen in quantum physics, is that things are different, you know, and so we, we come to this, this uh, I continually come back to this question of, you know, what is the basis of our thought? You know, why do we, why do we think this or, or think this and what, why is this aspect of culture here? You know, we can go back and, and kind of dig into some of those questions philosophically and historically. Um, but, you know, so there may be some reasons, but also there's also a lot of random arbitrariness or corruption of, of ideals or whatever that have led to these places. Um, but I think the, the, the takeaway there is we have the ability to change how we think Mm -hmm. And in a sense, what we think determines how we act, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I did hear someone say once that everything that we see around us in the world started as a thought, the building started as thoughts, the road started as thoughts, the car started as somebody having a thought, Yeah, you know, so our thinking has the ability to manifest itself in very, very concrete ways, you know, and we, we can shift the basis of thought now to a more sensible understanding that's modeled on nature, whether it be the quantum reality or, or ecosystem type thinking. We have the ability to shift our thinking and create new systems and organizations and realities for ourselves. Yeah. And this is very much where I see the, the, uh, the hope for the quantum reality as a mode of thought, because our world right now is in need of new fundamental modes of thought to move away from the uh, deleterious effects of our current mode of thought, which tend to be very destructive, to our psyches, to to the environment, to in, you know, on so many different dimensions, the, the this analysis or the lysis of breaking apart. This is what we're doing. We tend to break things continually, um, and we need to move now into the synthesis, which is the essence of life and creativity. Uh, is the synthesis, biosynthesis, photosynthesis. Synthesis is very life giving, and we need to move into this mode of thought now, which is empowering synthesis and the creation of new things, organizations, models, paradigms, uh, modes of interaction, etc. Yeah, and I think one thing the the IFB model does is it it goes right to the heart of how ecosystems work because in order to build something new, you need to understand what the, the parameters are that you're working within and uh, not to replicate 
the same system, but to use the the principles of how that system works in terms of and 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 drive something completely new because I sincerely believe uh, the system that we have is not something that we should try to fix. I think it needs to be completely supplanted right. with something different, but we have to understand those principles that all ecosystems work by, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, the question is, do we fix what we, uh, what we have <coughs> or do we create something new? And we, we tend to always go back to the fix because we're so deficient on creativity and synthesis. Uh, in a sense, most people don't have, they haven't practiced that. They haven't, in a sense, yeah. strengthened their creativity and, and synthesis you know, cognitive yeah. abilities to imagine new systems. But in a sense, we, we can very easily do those things because we have these innate abilities but, to, to tap into that. But you don't even have to imagine. I mean, there are, like a, a colleague of mine um, works with a, a group in Japan and they have a game that uh, when you play it, you start to create a system. Mm-hmm. It's completely different, something you would not have imagined, uh, you know, from the, it's, it's, it's completely different than the traditional model. So there are ways to hijack your, you know, habitual ways of thinking and and make it fun (laughs) in the process. And I think, too, we we need to be, in a sense, we need to be open to the, uh, to this creativity and and synthesis and not be afraid of the outcome. Yeah. Uh, Because one of the, one of the, you know, you're talking about the principles of ecosystems. One of the principles you see in nature very often is this kind of a ability for nature to self-organize itself. Mm-hmm. When we're creating, in a sense, we don't need to carry the burden of I'm going to create the system, right. you know, as if, as if we're some master architect. Right. The system will create itself. Yeah. All we need to do there is kind of be facilitating that movement And I like one of the examples is uh, proteins. You know, when proteins are built, you know, the the ability for a protein to function depends on its shape, and they 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 they're assembled uh, in these long strings of little units. Well, that protein of its own accord will take on the shape that it needs to take. Um, You know, it'll and nobody is quite quite sure uh, how that exactly this little string of molecules will uh, organize itself in this very, very particular shape that basically makes it into this little micro-machine. Yeah. But in a sense, nature has the ability to find the connections, to find the, the mechanisms that work. I mean, it's, it's a natural process. So in a sense, we need to lean into nature's ability to help us with this process. And, and I also... I also believe that we need to redefine leadership. Mm, That's a a great. Because uh, 
leadership is typically, you know, self-leadership or leading a team or this type of thing. But that whole self-organizing leadership where everybody's leading, <laughs> everybody knows how to lead. And, and just through that whole interconnection, it happens seamlessly. That's the next level. Yes, and I, I I completely agree with you. I I uh, <clears throat> I feel like you know we again this idea of leadership is one that's so ingrained in our in our thinking. It's very hard for us to think outside of that. Um, but we can actually just look at our world today, and we we're starting to see this shift towards self organization. You know, mm-hmm. in the workplace, um, you know, the uberfication of of work, you know, where teams are just forming and then dissolving and reforming. And -hmm. guess what? They're doing really productive, high value work like that. Yeah. And so in a sense, it's, it's (laughs) happening, right? Nature's allowing it to happen and it is happening and it's right there in front of our eyes. But again, we, we continually struggle with our mode of thought saying, Oh, who's our leader? We need to put somebody in charge. Right. You know, when, when there's purpose, when there's synergy, everything comes together and yeah. productivity and creativity and synthesis happens, which is a value added thing, not a, you know, this is, this is what we're trying to accomplish. But, but for that to happen, we need to move away from all of the rigid structures that operate within organizations and, and move to flexible ones. For example, you have job descriptions that perhaps no one in, in the world can do 100% of it very well, <laughs> you know, and, and they're rigid. Instead yes. of them um, morphing with the skills of the people that are in the roles and, and some architect just making sure that everybody's doing what they ought to do instead of holding everybody to some job description that, to me, uh, the rigidity of them makes no sense to me. Although I know that structure is needed and I believe in structure, uh, but sometimes they're so rigid that, you know, people are just in this, they're doing what they are told to do and not what lights <coughs> them up and not lit. They're yeah. still zombies, as you put it. <laughs> now, see, when you talk about that, I'm, I'm thinking about what's the mode of thought, you know, and for me, I imagine the HR department, you've got this organization and HR says, okay, we need to organize this, you know, which is a, a very Cartesian thing to do. We, it's, it's organized. We've got to line everything up. Yeah. And so then they apply analysis, lysis, which is the breaking apart. Let's break this, this organism, the organization into pieces, roles, and let's break this role into pieces and then yeah. put it all in the matrix and make sure we got all the pieces covered and assign it. This person does this and this. And in effect, when we look at our, our uh, living systems, our, our organizations as living systems, you can't do that. Is people are very attuned to the dynamism and the, the, the collaboration. You know, mm-hmm. hey, this may not be on this person's job description, but they're just going to do it because. They get, they get joy out of doing it. And this person is just going to help this other person because they want to. And so they have there's this, there's this nature in us, this collaborative, synthetic, um, uh, 
interconnected, flowing, balancing nature that we all have in ourselves that we all want to express in the workplace that our structures can sometimes inhibit. Like, you can't do this because it's not in your job description. Right. Well, maybe I, I, I want to do it, or maybe this person needs help doing it. Um, you know, when I, some of the best teams that I've, I've led uh, performed because they did what they did best, regardless of what their job descriptions said. Mm-hmm. And because of our relationship, they wanted to do it because a lot of times, as you say, you know, people are like, well, you know, she's just offloading her work or, <laughs> or, um, you know, why do I have to do all of this? And this person isn't, you know, doing any of my work because they understand that the, what I was doing was giving everybody what they would lit them up, what they were best at. And they still got, uh, you know, performance ratings mm-hmm. but during the year they were doing things that were a bit different than mm-hmm. what was uh on their original job description and we were getting work done in fact we ended up being a high performing team we were recognized right so i find that the more dy- dynamic uh you are with finding what people do best and what lights them up and uh, allowing that to happen and, and evolve. Um, the more you allow that to happen, the better the team will perform. Yes. Right. But they have to have the relationship with you. You can't get that out of, you know, people that don't trust the leader. Yeah. And this, this is, in a sense, this is the, uh, the essence of, you know, one of the, the quantum reality is we we've gone from this idea of I as this you know autonomous work producing unit to we and and the relationship becomes very very important you know as we as we form some kind of a, a fabric or this interconnected uh, I we continuum of people and you know that's something that I think you know one of those soft skills that we really need to to now. Uh, invest more and more in because it's the the relationship that empowers the we and it's the we that empowers some of these high performance uh, dynamics that we're talking about yeah so I go ahead I was just thinking about you know the relationship driving that high performance dynamic because it's back to the point that I made earlier. You cannot achieve an optimized flow state until you are, you know, operating at that level together. <laughs> you have right. to have that that we connection that goes beyond just getting the workout. It's it's really a heart connection with mm-hmm. the team, and also you have to have the right skills in the team uh, in order to get there. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think another, you know, another dimension of having the relationships and moving into the we is, you know, as you think of things, as we shift from the Cartesian mode of thought, where we all see ourselves as individual particles that are kind of autonomous, mm-hmm. and we move into the uh, the we, which is the 
the wave uh, metaphor where we're all interconnected. One of, one of the benefits of the we is now that we're all in connect, interconnected, we have the ability to, uh, to move into a sense of resonance where um, what, we're, what we're able to accomplish is we put our resonance in the, in the sense of, of, of the wave is where we, we get um, the wave syncing up and the amplitudes of the waves, for example, are additive instead of canceling each other out or, or being destructive in terms of destructive interference. So, you know, the, the, this movement into we, where we're now all intermeshed in this, this kind of wave fabric um, metaphor allows us to, to have these really constructive resonances where we're, where we're doing, in a sense, what, we, what we're always trying to do, doing more with less. We're, we're not wasting the energy through destructive interference or you know these collisions between particles that are that are not helpful and and you know what we're all doing is we're syncing up pooling the energy and creating something that's harmonic and uh constructive yeah and i think the key word you just used there is harmony right i think a lot of times uh organizations force uh, interactions and there's a lot of disharmony, disunity mm-hmm. and, and they're okay with that once results are happening and it's time for ecosystems to operate in a harmonious way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And I, th- I think this is something just as, just as human beings, we could all do a little bit more with. Uh, I'm sure many people struggle with with the the conflict and the dissonance that they have to deal with on a daily basis. And wouldn't it be great if we can change our mode of thinking and move into coming away at the end of the day thinking, "Oh, that was a that was a harmonizing experience," and the resonance that I feel today working here versus the dissonance that I felt. Yeah. It's a really fundamental shift in the quality of our lives. I mean, we've, I think we've become addicted to this, to the suffering, <laughs> you know, people complain about it like it's a badge, but I think what we need is, is joy. Yes. Joy. Right. We need joy in the workplace. Imagine what can happen if people are happy and engaged. I mean, how do you get engagement out of a system that's designed to force you to do something that you may not necessarily want to do? Right. How do you right. get engagement out of that? Yeah. I, I'm not surprised that engagement levels are low. And when they right. go high, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, okay, now why are they high? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nobody trusts a, an assessment. Uh-huh. <laughs> they always feel like, you know, they can be trapped. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, you know, I better say that everything's good because you know it's going to be a problem for me. Yeah, right, right, and that's that goes back to to trust. And, yeah, which is of course a, another property of the quantum reality is, is is trust between people. But yeah, it's the glue. It's, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah, so I remember I wrote this paper on uh, commensal peace building, which is um, peace building through food, basically. And this, this idea that um, sitting down together at the table, um, preparing food together, eating together is this deep form of, of relationship building. And if we, if I, if you look at, I use the diplomatic model uh, in my paper, um, which has three tracks. It's uh, country to country, country to people, and people to people. Those are the, the three. Uh, they call it tracks of diplomacy. You can see historically that each one of those tracks has a very strong element of uh, uh, culinary. Um, a very strong culinary aspect to it. So, for example, the track one, which is people to people, is a, you know, state dinners and all of these kinds of things. It's very important symbolically when, when leaders get together um, to, to sit down and share a meal and incorporate aspects of their culture and their, their agriculture in, into this kind of relationship-building exercise. Um, and then track two is, is a very big trend in diplomacy now. They call it gastro diplomacy, but it's basically building relationships between uh, a country and other peoples in the world through their food. Uh, for example, Thailand has been a pioneer in this, that they've taken their uh, culinary assets, which is their cuisine, and a kind of uh, franchise that around the world, very, very popular, uh, expression of their national identity. Italy is the same when people think of Italy. It's really very food-centric kind of conception of the nation. And then finally, which I think is the most important, is the people to people. This is just everyday relationships that you can see throughout history and throughout many different cultures. People have used food as a way to reconcile conflict and build relationships. And um, so for me, uh, food is this, this very uh, connective layer in society. I, I tend to think of it as having these quantum properties where everything is interconnected and it kind of is this, this central point through which so many systems are flowing, agricultural, ecological, cultural, uh, sociological, they're all kind of flowing through this, this, this meal that can happen. Um, and there, there are examples from almost every culture out there of how um, when there's a conflict, people will end up sitting down over a meal to, to uh, in a sense, heal the wounds and bring peace again to the situation. Yeah, it's a whole sense of sharing. Yeah. That- can can add to the the flow of the conversation. Um, but you know, there's. You know, I always used to say, and and I still say this. Train. I I talk about training and isolation being, you know, it, it's suboptimal. Um, but even socializing and eating in isolation, if you don't have other things going that you're deliberate about uh, using them 
using those other aspects of your organization to bring people together. And in isolation, what can happen when you have a meal is that people have a wonderful time and then they go back and the culture is, is so broken that, you know, they just go back to, you know, their corners of the world and yes. they operate the same way they always operated. So the question is, how do we use that socializing or the social socialization to actually bring, actually transform uh, interaction within a culture? Yeah, and I think what you bring out there is a really good point because we we've become so Cartesian in nature, and this uh, everything is broken apart now in our culture. So you see in American culture, the concept of a meal is you just show up at a restaurant, you eat like an hour, and then you leave, and everyone goes away. Yeah, you know, or and, they're or they're on the phone texting, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Whereas for me. Uh, when I look at the food ways, you know, that I've, I've uncovered historically, what we see there is a kind of a, a consciousness of appreciation, which is, in essence, brings a significance into the ritual that, you know, when you sit down to a, for a meal, this is the culmination of everything in their society coming together. This is... This is the ecology producing. This is people's labor, the acts of their, of their hard work. It's the giving of their wealth. It's the coming together of community, the cooperation of people in the preparation of a meal, which you know traditionally really is, is, a, is a communal effort to, to pull together a feast, as it were. And then the, you know, often the, the time format can be longer in, in traditional settings. And what it comes down to is it creates this very integrative experience where in a sense we we become open to all that is, right? The entire the, the entire culture as it were collapses down into this one ritual uh, of sharing a meal together. Uh, unfortunately what we've done is we stripped all the significance out of it. We just go to Apple get their special and we're out the door and back to lunch in 45 minutes. And we're not allowing ourselves to find the significance in this ritual anymore. Yeah. Um, So this is something I'm, I'm very interested in. I I continue to work with food as a way to understand the, the the deeply integrated uh, nature of our food ways, you know, and, as I was expressing to you earlier, one of my dreams would be to to find a way to bring people together over foods where we can rediscover the the significance of sharing meals together, building relationships, becoming aware of the the totality of things that have to happen for us to have that experience. For me, it's very profound. Yeah. Because in that exchange, you're lowering your walls. In order to share, you need to you know, lower your walls a bit to allow people in. Yes, yes, you do. And I, I think even in the... In the uh, if it's meaningful, by the way, you could share and, you know, <laughs> make no difference. Yeah. 
But I think the significance of it is quite plain because even, even in our highly individualistic system where we stripped all the meaning out, you know, the business dinner, you know, it's still a ritual that, that we partake in so frequently. I mean, you see it all the time, especially the up you go and the bigger the deals, this ritual is just very, very important. You know, so we, we have clues to it. I just don't think we've tapped into the power of of what it actually can mean. Even some uh, leaders, if they have a difficult conversation to have with an employee, they take them to lunch. Right. They take them, you know, out of the environment. Yes. And they partake in some kind of, you know, food ritual. So that's another way that it, it's been uh, applied. Yes. So it's it's a very profound ritual, and again, for me, it's it speaks to this this quantum quantum dynamic that we've kind of lost touch with because of our the way our society is structured. But it, it's one of those things that allows the connections to become significant, and it, it, it's just a really uh, integrating, connecting, relationship building. Uh, negotiating almost uh, behavior that we can engage in to to help us move away from this very fractured, isolated um, way of being, a way of working towards one that's more holistic and, and uh, relationship-oriented and aware of the, the other variables that, that are impacting um, our, our lives, you know, when you have lunch with someone, you're going to talk about life and then you, you get to know them all. Oh, this person, you know, they have a difficult home situation there. This is their challenge or whatever. And, and you become more sensitive and more uh, intertwined with that person. And you, you, you're no longer uh, just kind of looking at them as a machine. You're looking at them as a human. Right. And that's the key. Right. And, and and my question is, well, how do you look at people as humans in in, a, in an organization when you call them resources or capital? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great, great. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> great, great observation there. It just isn't, you just can't have both. Right. And, and the whole system is organized so that they're treated as resources or capital. Right, right. So again, it's there's we we know that we need to shift our mode of thought, and it's these little expressions like sharing a meal together, or you know whatever whatever the other techniques we can leverage to to move away from that disembodiment of the person and from their right. skills towards right. the the reintegration of here is a person you know right. who is skilled you know, and they're and part of our organization. Not only skilled, I think they also have a genius mm. that we're not tapping into. And how do we get there? How do we help them to get there so that we can interconnect in new ways, you know? Right, right. Everyone right. has some kind of genius, whatever it may be. They do, right. And I think this is, you know, this is where the, the, this new mode of thought comes in where instead of trying to put somebody in a box and then tell them to perform 
you know, we're we're now looking at each person as as a unique expression. expression. Yeah. yeah, a u- unique expression, and our job is to empower them to express what they yes. do best. Yeah. Um, and and to to kind of make the organization aware of that to, to let them flourish yes and to spread that 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 genius around yes and, and not not kind of uh, you know clamp down on it and try to stifle it with that i'd like to thank you edwin for such a thought provoking interview your insights will certainly help our audience to consider leadership from newer perspectives You can find out more about Edwin on LinkedIn. This has been Yvette Bethel and Edwin Clamp, and we thank you for taking the time to join us on Evolve. Thanks for listening to Evolve, reinventing leadership, building freedom cultures. Visit ifbcentral.com to learn more about how you can reinvent your leadership and transform your team, starting with trust.